This is the Read to Lead Podcast, episode 334. Some of us are Zoomed out. We're on video conferencing all day long. Some of us are getting plenty of interaction. When I look at loneliness, many of us, our loneliness isn't the result of us being isolated and having nobody. For most of us, it doesn't feel intimate enough. It doesn't feel meaningful enough. Hi there once again. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jeff, and I started this podcast because I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. The podcast will not only help you narrow that reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable ideas from today's most successful and inspiring authors. One such author I find quite inspiring is Shasta Nelson. She's written a brand new book called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships, Where We Spend Most of Our Time. In fact, she's my guest today. I plan to ask Shasta to share about how friendships at work can help increase your productivity, Uh, some tips for maintaining healthy relationships remotely, which is especially timely, what the research actually says about toxic coworkers, and lots more. Before we welcome Shasta, a quick programming note. We've got some exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, people like Mark Victor Hansen, the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and many other million-selling books. We'll also be welcoming back some former guests, people like Arlene Pellicane and Carrie Oberbrunner, and some brand new authors, some folks like Dr. Michelle Deering and Susie Miller. It's still hard for me to believe, but nearly all of my interviews for the remainder of 2020 are scheduled. I know who they're going to be. They're not all conducted yet, obviously, but I know who's going to be interviewed when and who's going to go where for the rest of the year. So lots of exciting guests coming up, and I can't wait to bring them all to you. Thanks for coming back here each and every week. Shasta Nelson is a leading expert on friendship. She's been quoted in magazines and newspapers, online and print, including Red Book, Chicago Tribune, Woman's World, Women's Health, and Marie Claire UK, among others. Her previous books include Frentimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness, and Friendships Don't Just Happen, The Guide to Creating a Meaningful Circle of Girlfriends. Shasta also speaks across the country, facilitates company offsites, and has been interviewed live on over 30 TV shows shows, including Katie Couric's Katie, Fox Business, The Early Show, and Today. And her latest book is called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships, Where We Spend Most of Our Time. I'm enjoying getting to know her. Her name is Shasta Nelson. Shasta, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. Such an honor to be with you. Well, I want to talk at first about this idea of friendship and how many of us kind of compartmentalize friendship or when we talk about friendship in the context of work, it's like, well, that can kind of muddy things a little bit and people are less productive and there's drama, but it's actually in a lot of ways just the opposite, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, and to me, this comes from two different directions. For me personally, as a, somebody who's been studying and in the friendship world for my most of my career, to me, I'm looking at our loneliness numbers and saying, we can't solve this if we don't, if we come home lonely every day from work, if we're not getting our social needs met in our careers, then we can't solve this in those couple hours every evening and our weekends. We can't turn the ship of loneliness around. But from a corporate setting, yeah, absolutely. We actually can decrease the drama at work and increase our productivity 
property, we can make more money <laughs> because we actually have less turnover. We have more engagement, uh, better creativity, more better research and development. I mean, when you go down the list of what companies value, it's really strongly correlated to how much they like each other and whether they feel supported, whether they feel kind of like they can bring their whole self to work, whether they feel like they're they belong. So yeah, this is a big, this is a big workplace issue. Now, I think many of us w- w- have heard the research that healthy relationships have an impact on our health or good for our health. You know, when we feel loved, uh, you know, our bodies uh, repair and recover from stress, as you say in, in your book. How do we balance that truth, though, in light of our present circumstances? Many of us are, uh, you talk about loneliness, many of us are in a situation where we're not being able to interact with people the way we used to, or at least not nearly as often. Yes, it is very hard. We do have uh, several, we've got the pandemic and then we've got an epidemic. A medical uh, experts are going on record calling our loneliness an epidemic that is hurtful too. I think what's really important to step back from and say, so I define friendship as any relationship where both people feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. So we have to be feel seen, it has to feel safe, and it needs to be satisfying. And those three things can happen without us having to be less than six feet apart, for example. So the bigger question is, do we all feel loved and supported? And that's the question that when we look to um, researchers tell us that that question, how you answer, how loved and supported do I feel, tells us more about your health 20 years down the road than any other question we can ask you. So the question that we each need to be asking, whatever our circumstances are right now, it may not be that we need more interaction. Some people are peopled out. They're helping people all day long. Some of us are Zoomed out. We're on video conferencing all day long. Like Some of us are getting plenty of interaction. The question when I look at loneliness is that many of us, our loneliness isn't as a, the result of us being isolated and having nobody, though that needs to be considered for some of us. But for most of us, it's that it doesn't feel intimate enough. It doesn't feel meaningful enough. It's not leaving us feeling seen in a way that feels really good. And that's the bigger issue that I get really worked up about. Right, right. And, and, and going back to loneliness for a second, you talk about in the book how it's more impactful to our health than, say, uh, smoking cigarettes or, or yes. not getting exercise and things like that. Yeah, it's it's as harmful. If we feel disconnected and we don't deal with that, it's as harmful to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, twice as harmful as being obese, and does the equivalent damage on our body as though we were lifelong alcoholics. And these aren't just, uh, you know, fluffy little things like, yeah, it's good for you. Like it literally, we can look in, and I loved um, researching, again, the latest health information of how that actually works in our bodies. But when we feel connected and supported, it's a protective barrier to our bodies. So it doesn't eliminate the stressors of our lives, but it does protect us and buffer us from actually absorbing that stress in our lives. So the more supported we feel, the less that stress is going to damage our body. And so it's really, really crucial. And I'll just mention, Jeff, we are giving the first chapter of my book away. And that's the chapter that has all the research on what it does to us for our health and happiness. So if people are interested in that research, they can just text the word friendship to 47, 47, 47. And that way they can see for themselves how significant the health is and the happiness. It really is linked. It's not this kind of ambiguous thing. It's very, very obvious. I love that. So friendship to 47, 47, 47. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. Well, unpack, if you would, what you call the three requirements of all healthy relationships. I enjoyed not only reading about this in your book, but then watching your TED Talk, where you you cover some of this territory as well. 
Yes. So years ago, I was starting to, you know, I'm just in the research around relationships. And I was like, okay, Google is over here studying what makes for a healthy team. And they're calling it psychological safety. And uh, these people are over here studying healthy marriage. And these people are over here studying why do we feel closer to some friends than another. And these people are over here studying trust. And I was like, what are they were all studying something different. And yet, what are the commonalities? And when I put all the studies and kind of overlaid them all together, I grouped everything that every every researcher was kind of studying, and we use different words, but it came down to three things that were present in every single healthy relationship. And those three things, I teach them on a triangle. And the base of the triangle is positivity. So that means positive emotions, feeling good. So we want to enjoy each other. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel loved. We, At the end of the day, these are the relationships we're going to keep gravitating to because we feel good. Uh, and so I, that one probably makes sense to most of us. We don't want any more relationships where we're feeling more obligation and guilt and judgment and uh, complaining and, and heaviness. And then the two sides of the triangle is consistency and vulnerability. Consistency is our shared common interactions. It's our experiences. It's the time we log. It's our history that we build. It's the patterns that we put in place for our relationship. This is how we interact several times because we could have positivity and have a great time. You and I could get together and just leave and say, that was so fun. But if we never repeated it, it's not a friendship. It has to be repetitious. And that's the consistency piece. And that's where we end up building trust and safety. That's what ends up leaving us feeling like we can predict how each other will respond because of that pattern. And so that becomes really important for a commitment and and safety. And then vulnerability is the third. And that is where we feel seen, where we feel known. This is where we want somebody who gets us. This is where um, we feel like we're sharing a little bit of our history and our stories and our ideas and our strengths and what makes us tick. And this is how we feel like we can kind of get each other and know what's going to make each other happy or make each other sad or how they're going to respond in that situation. So between those three things, at the end of the day, we want somebody who gets us, which is vulnerability, somebody we can rely on, which is consistency, and somebody that we can enjoy, which is positivity. Well, let's dig into each of those three uh, one at a time more specifically, if we can. For example, what what are some specific uh, healthy ways that we can develop relationships at work that are positive? Yeah, this is the one, Jeff, that I, so I did a whole bunch of assessments. I go into companies and do uh, like offsites and I have everybody on a team take a 10 question quiz on each of these 10 questions in each of these three areas. And then we can come up with a personal score and then we can come up with a team score to identify which of the three requirements a team is lowest in. And most people expect it to be vulnerability. Most people, we'll get to that in a second, but most people are like, yeah, we don't really want vulnerability in the workplace. That's not really the one we're aiming for. And so you would expect that vulnerability would be the lowest one, but positivity is uh, by far the one that most most teams score low on, which is really informative to us. Positivity is, I, if I had to pick like two aspects of positivity that we could practice more in our workplaces, it would be empathy and probably appreciation. Mm. Those two are just really key and they're so important. Empathy is us feeling like somebody's not judging us, that they kind of get us, they're validating the stress, the emotion, the fear that we feel. Empathy is also a positive. I mean, it can also be, we often think of empathy as when somebody's hurting, but it's validating also when, when somebody's 
got something exciting that happened. I mean, we have workplaces where a lot of us don't feel like we can celebrate or where we can express pride, which is really unfortunate. These are emotions that end up leaving us wanting more and, and contributing better at work. So uh, huge, huge, huge that if we just learned how to say, you know, I see you, I get that, that must be hard or mirror back to people. Mm. And then if we learn to express appreciation more, those would be huge ones. And that's just expressing gratitude or cheering for each other, uh, giving compliments more easily, just expressing our appreciation. Honestly, a lot of us feel it. And we think if we say it once or twice, they know that, but none of us are walking around with, uh, with an overflow of just being too appreciated. <laughs> now, uh, what about consistency? I'm going to save the scary one vulnerability for last. <laughs> uh, when it comes to consistency, uh, the, the, the other part of that triangle, the second part of that triangle, uh, you, it would seem that that's kind of built into work, right? We're showing up every day. What are some tips for developing consistency in our relationships, though, at work, apart from just being together by default? Yeah. And this is one of the ones that motivated me to write the book. To your point, work is to us as adults, like school was to us when we were kids. And that's why we look back and say it was so much easier when we were kids to make <laughs> friends. And it wasn't that it was easier because we were kids. It was easier because we had consistency locked in to our lives to a large degree. We didn't get to opt out to having a single room at summer camp. You know, we didn't, we, had, we were kind of forced into interactions and consistency with the same people over and over. And that's why work is still the number one place we make friends as adults, because it's not that we would look around at our coworkers and say, of all the people I could meet in the world, these are the people I would choose as my friends. It's that we had consistency and then assuming that as we see them over and over and over, that some of them we end up enjoying, which is positivity and getting to know, which is vulnerability, then that's why we bond. It's not some magic unknown formula. It's not because you liked them better. It's because you practice these three things. But yeah, I would say, Jeff, right now with so many people working remotely and with so many people's um, work schedules being really shifted or being unemployed potentially, Actually, it becomes an even important, more important thing for us to look at and to say, we may have to be a little more intentional on this one. Mm. Um, that might mean we need to schedule each other. And I always say the thing you could do the best would be putting in something that's a routine or a habit, something that is consistent, that requires you having to initiate and schedule less frequently. So if you could say, let's just get on the phone with each other every Friday and end our day sharing something that we're celebrating. Uh, and that's just locked in every Friday, or let's have lunch over the over video every Wednesday together, or let's do, you know, let's just check in with each other every morning via text. Anything that can kind of become a routine or a ritual is going to do more for your relationship than something that has to continue to have somebody initiate it. So anything you can do to add those routines into place is really, really, crucial for your ongoing health and happiness. I can't remember if I read this in the chapter on consistency or maybe it was the chapter on vulnerability, but there was the idea that you shared from someone who in a internal work communication channel, they, they started a channel called, I think it was things that give us hope or something like that. Yeah. And so yeah. I started a channel in my Slack group called Things That Give Us Hope yesterday, and they loved it. They just thought it was oh, awesome. <laughs> good. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Anything we can do that kind of just opens up communication, especially as we don't have proximity necessarily with people, right. then what we want to do is figure out other ways to create consistency that could be um, using other forms of communication for sure. Well, this last one, vulnerability, I joked about it being the, the scary one. But talk about why we tend to get a bit hung up on this one and, and maybe some ways we can increase vulnerability at work and, and, and why we would want to. Yeah, vulnerability is such a 
Such a cool one. What The problem is we have this misnomer of what vulnerability is. We often picture us going over all of our personal drama, standing by the water cooler and not working. And instead we're crying in the bedroom. And we have this like this really dramatic stereotype of vulnerability, just meaning that we're just like processing our life and dumping all of our personal life on each other. And vulnerability is less about disclosing information. And vulnerability is more about being willing to show up and to be seen, to ask for what we need, to uh, share our ideas, to bring our experiences with us and to be able to say this counts, this is valid, and uh, we need to look at it from my point of view too. And so this is really important, like when we talk about diversity in the workplace. It's one thing just to get the diversity there, but we want everybody there to feel like you're not just here because of this diversity. We want to learn from you, from your experience and from your viewpoint and have that impact our product and our service. And that takes vulnerability. Uh, We don't want just a workplace where everyone is uh, scared to ask questions and say, I don't get this, or I don't know what's going on, or I don't know how to do this. We want a workplace where we reward failure, where we encourage people to say, hey, around here, we take risks, we try. These are the values we're living by, and it's not about perfection. Uh, Google talks about it as psychological safety, and that's the ability to come and to to share a harebrained idea or to (laughs) risk failure without feeling like you're going to be punished for it or ostracized by the group in any way. And so if we value creativity, if we value authenticity, um, you know, inclusion, all these things that we say really matter, then we absolutely need vulnerability in the workplace. And one of the best things we can do is just start helping. So remember that vulnerability leads to us feeling seen. So anything that helps us feel seen is really important. And I want to reiterate these three things again, because they loop, they have to keep looping around. And so Mm. it needs to feel good positivity for us to want to share with our team or to share something. We aren't going to want to open up if somebody's being rude or judgmental towards us and we perceive being rejected. So it needs to feel good. The space needs to be made for it, which is the consistency piece. So we really need managers and leaders making time in our gatherings for us to kind of foster these relationships and get to know each other. And then we need to have somebody ask the question. And at thebusinessoffriendship.com, for anybody who orders the book, I've put together an entire team toolkit where I have 35 sharing questions that leaders and managers can use with their teams. I've put together videos there that you can, five-minute videos that you can share with the team and then have it opens a discussion with the team or an activity that the, the team can do together. I put a whole bunch of resources in there. Take one of those sharing questions and uh, ask that question, which is uh, lets people feel seen. And that's the vulnerability piece where we're not asking them to share their private life and get into all their secrets. We're asking them to express uh, what's one thing that leaves you feeling hopeful right now? Like that's back to your point. Uh, what's something you appreciate that this team does for us? And so it's, it's allowing us to reflect and to open and to share. And then it has to feel positive again. We need to say, oh, thank you for sharing. Or that was great. Or, oh yeah, I love that. Me too. And then that's the positive feeling. And then we want to do it again, which is consistency. And then we get to know each other more, which is vulnerability. And those three things just need to keep looping around and around and around. The workplaces that get stuck are the ones that don't make space for one of these three things to happen. And then that's where we end up uh, kind of breaking down the relationship and it can't go any it can't go any higher the, up the triangle. Yeah, and that gets into specifically the five levels of relationships within that triangle, right? Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. anxiety and resentment in friendships comes from, you know, mismatched expectations, but I think what you're saying is we can't change the other person, but we can do certain things ourselves to move people up and down. Uh, that triangle. Am I am I reiterating that correctly? You sure are. Yep. You're you're a good good book reader. I love it. 
Yeah. So I teach at the bottom of the triangle. All relationships start there on level one, which is curiosity. And they move up the triangle as they practice those three things, which is so important because sometimes we just go, oh, I really like her. or He's great. And we just want to pop them at the top of the triangle. <laughs> uh, and and we only move up the triangle by by how much we practice these three things. And so then the most important thing is to realize like, Okay, so not all my coworkers need to be my best friend. You know, most of my coworkers or people I interact with or my clients might be level one, level two. Hopefully with my team, we're all at level three and maybe feel really close and connected and safe, but it's mostly in this environment and we're not necessarily, you know, it's, it's only, we're only seeing each other when we're at work. We're only talking about things for the most part that are kind of centered around there. We're not calling each other at home, for example. There might be one or two people that we meet at work who do move up the triangle. And I have a whole chapter on how to do that safely and appropriately. Um, and those become people that you are building a relationship with that will extend beyond that workplace and potentially be somebody that stays in your life longer than the time that you two share a job. The most important thing, what to your point that you were saying, is where most disappointments happen is when, there's a, when we have the wrong expectations on a relationship. I cannot tell you how many people over the years come to me and they say, I, I used to work with all my best friends and then I quit working there and, um, you know, it's been six months and they've not called me. I guess, I guess they were fake friends. I guess they were toxic. I guess they weren't, you know, it's like we just get so hurt and we think the relationship didn't mean as much to them as I thought it did. And I always have to say, no, it did mean a lot to them. It was like, but what you had was shared consistency in that workplace and you were probably level three, which meant you were interacting every day. But you never practice being friends outside of that pattern of consistency. So when one of you left that pattern and got out of that bucket of shared commonality, that relationship didn't have a structure for which to keep moving forward. And so it's really important that we understand what level we're at and have healthy expectations. You can't expect those people to act like level five friends when they're actually level three friends and vice versa. The last job I worked at, it's been seven years since I've had a job, but the last job I worked at. <laughs> well, you have a job, just you mean in an office. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different now, yeah. Uh, working for myself, but when I worked for somebody else, uh, I had a job where I had several uh, coworkers, my my supervisor, my boss included, the person who hired me, uh, where we were practicing many of these concepts, thankfully, and without really being aware of it at the time and without labeling it as such. Just yesterday, I got a text from that boss who included someone I worked with, Teresa is her name, and he was texting us because he was experiencing something that we used to experience together as a team, and he was reminiscing about Aww. having missed those moments and wishing we were there. And it's just this really neat relationship all these years later that still exists. Uh -huh. Now, he's in another town now, so there's not that proximity, though. When I have visited Dallas, I'm in Nashville. When I have visited Dallas, I always make it a point to see him and his wife. But nice. Teresa uh, lives here, and she and her husband and my wife and I, we get together probably monthly because that friendship that wow. started their work continues to this day. Love that, love that, love that. And I love that what he did, so even though your consistency isn't as frequent as it used to be, you still both are practicing consistency because by him reaching out, it's almost like putting an, it's like almost sending a bridge and saying, I'm here and it, you will feel closer to him and feel like you can reach out to him for support uh, because of that, you know? And so every time we just even kind of throw a line to each other, it's saying, I'm still here. And that's what helps us. We don't have to be as frequent if we have, if we have invested, there's a lot of studies that show that it just takes 
you know, there's one study that shows about 200 hours of interaction before we feel like we're super close to somebody, like we are best friends. Mm. That's a that's a lot of hours. <laughs> and so you think about how much we've invested in some relationships that we can continue to reap the rewards from, like you are, if we continue to even keep uh, some some line to each other. That's a beautiful example and a great story. And a good illustration, I'll say that everybody listening, whether we know these three requirements or understand this, we have never built a healthy relationship without these three things. And conversely, any relationship that doesn't feel good right now, it's because at least one of these three things is lacking. So like what you're doing is such a great thing to do to go back and to say, yeah, what was, how do we practice these three things in that relationship? And you can pretty much any relationship you like, it's because you can see all three things uh, present and available in that relationship. Well said. Uh, lastly, in regard to the book, I appreciated your your take on toxic coworkers, a word that gets thrown around a lot and often gets misapplied, uh, as you say. Can, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, on why I don't like the word toxic yeah, or what to yeah. do with them. <laughs> well, well, both, if you have time. Yeah, the I'm not a fan of the word toxic. One study showed that 84% of us feel that we've had a toxic friend, which makes me laugh because that means 84% of us have all been friends with the same 16% of people who are walking around toxic, or that means somebody's thought that about us. Mm. <laughs> and it just reminds all of us that it's easy when we think that a relationship isn't feeling good, we can quickly see what we wish they would do differently and we will just call them toxic. Toxic. What would be healthier for us to do is to say our relationship has created perhaps a toxic pattern, uh, but that person is not toxic. And one of the when I do the team assessments, it's interesting because one of the questions I ask every person on a team on the assessment is: Is there somebody on this team who's consistently damaging the overall health and morale of this team? In your opinion, and there is only one out of ten teams where everybody says yes. There's one person on our team. That means ninety percent of our teams. I might think there's somebody who's toxic, but nobody else on my team agrees with me. So that person's not walking around just being toxic. It's me, my interaction, my expectations with that person. There's something between the two of us. It's not that that person, everybody they interact with is is being affected in the same way. So it gives us a lot more power to say, okay, I don't need to say they are the problem as much as I need to say something about the way the two of us interact might be uh, improved. And we always, we can't change the other person, but we can always, always, always change the relationship. So there's three different entities here. There's me, there's them, and then there's the us. And I can't change them, but I can change me. And when I change me, then I change the us. And so I always say, this isn't us doing this for their sake. This isn't us being like the martyr and being the big one and taking the high road. And we're like going to do this because we're the right people. We're doing this for our sake. We want to enjoy our jobs more. We don't want to be coming home feeling like that toxic presence is on us. We don't want to feel poisoned. We don't want to feel depleted. We don't want to feel exhausted and annoyed and angry. So we are going to show up. And that's what I love in that chapter is how do we actually show up differently? And the interviews and the stories in that chapter give me so much hope of how many people are able to show up and to view those relationships differently uh, by looking and saying, which of these three requirements would make the biggest difference in this relationship if I were to practice one of them a little bit more intentionally? I love how you explain that. Excellent. Well, I do have a couple of questions in the time we have left that I want to ask, not uh, related to the book, but before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we uh, know or walk away with? 
Mm, this has been such a fun conversation. I really appreciate you covering this. I've been uh, been really hesitant, you know, writing a book in the business world. I'm not a business expert per se. It means so much, though, to really believe that if we could do our companies and run our organizations in a way where people feel like they belong, and that doesn't mean we all have to be best friends with each other, but we really do benefit when our people feel like they belong here. Are their their engagement goes up turnover goes down, our, you know, our ability to show up and be creative and to own problems and to feel like our coworkers that we want to have each other's backs. Uh, I love the idea of workplaces where people feel truly seen in safe and satisfying ways. So thanks so much for, for talking about this book. It means a lot. Shasta, as a successful uh, TEDx speaker, I enjoyed your, your TEDx talk, having watched it earlier today. You packed a lot in under 17 minutes, mm-hmm. um, and which was done very, very well. I wonder what might be some of your tips for delivering delivering a talk that's uh, impactful and memorable to the audience. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the hardest speaking appointments to do because it does have to be so succinct. So every time I wanted to go off on a tangent and say something else, I had to tell myself, stop, (laughs) just keep, stay on track. You don't have time. (laughs) Uh, I would say, yeah, just having a really clear big idea is super important. And so for me, it was really wanting to share these three requirements, you know, and so just kind of realizing that's the meat of it. And so then everything up to that is, is point in this story and the research leads up to that. And then the after after that is kind of the application why this is important uh, for kind of the bigger ramifications. But to me, it's a little bit like walking up a mountain and back down and just realizing I'm starting this off with our heart a little bit with a story, want to make this really poignant about the research and why loneliness is affecting us. And then here's what we can do about it. Here's the three requirements at the top of the mountain. And then I kind of view it as coming back down the mountain like, okay, so now that we know these three things, here's how it it can apply. And this is how it impacts our lives. And then ending, uh, coming back to that opening story, just kind of circling back around. I love book ending things and, and just kind of coming back and finishing with the heart. I'm always somebody who wants to like, why does this matter? Like it has to start with like the why the heart for me, and then get into the, the research and the content and then end back with that heart. So yeah, that's how I, that's how I tend to do things. Mm. And I liked too, how you, you sort of opened that loop with that personal story and then you just sort of left it open, but then closed it. You know, you, we all, we were all anticipating the, the closure that that story at the end of your talk brought. So I thought that was really, really well done. Thank you. Um, well, uh, what's a, a book or two that you might recommend? Maybe a book or two you've encountered that's had a huge impact on you. Maybe it's a book or two that you go back to and reread occasionally. Anything that stands out? Well, you know, the book actually that I go back to the most often is, well, maybe surprise, uh, is, is actually, I love personal growth and I love self-assessments. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the books that have to do with like the wisdom of the Enneagram, the Enneagram is one of my favorite assessments. And when I'm writing books, when I'm giving talks, when I'm teaching workshops, it's always really helpful for me to, when I write a book, I'm thinking, okay, so how would a person who's this type view this? And what would they need to read in this book in order to uh, have this matter? And what would somebody of this type need in order to do this? And, and whether it's Myers-Briggs or whether it's StrengthsFinder or whether it's DISC, like I, those are the kind of the books that I go to often because I, I really care about making sure that I'm not just communicating how I want to communicate, but like, so how would an introvert need to hear something? What advice would I have for somebody who's different from, I, from who I am? And, and uh, like, I, I'm very clear that I'm not just writing a book to other people who are just like me. And so those books are the ones that I tend to pull off the shelf and, and to say, okay, so somebody who, uh, we don't have to get all into the Enneagram here, but they're 
there's like some people who is going to struggle more with vulnerability. There's certain uh, certain types that are going to struggle more with vulnerability than other types. There's certain types that are going to struggle with more positivity. And so what can I be thinking through? What are the obstacles or the challenges that this person might experience? And how can I address that differently? So to me, those are the ones that I go to all the time, just kind of wanting to keep making sure that I'm thinking of my audience and different people in my audience. That's a great piece of advice. I'm in the process of writing a book, co-authoring a book, and I hadn't thought of approaching some of the writing that way. I think I may have to start over now. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Get your stuff out and then you can go back and then just kind of view it from the... I used to be a pastor back in my first life. And so whenever I would get up to preach a sermon, I would always think I would uh, always have like um, people in mind, not specific people like they need to hear the sermon, but I would picture like, okay, this person, he's like works in the business world and da, 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 da. And then she's like this person who stays home with her kids. And I always had like eight people in my mind that were just like, what do I need to say that makes this relevant to that person? You know? And so it's important just to be thinking of our audiences are so varied and so mixed and yet they're all still people with hearts and hungers and needs. And so, yeah, that's just kind of how I try to make sure I just think of a few different people and how this would land on them. Love it, love <laughs> it. Well, 2020 obviously didn't turn out the way any of us uh, thought uh, it would with uh, about a little less than half the year remaining. You and your team, what are you looking forward to that you can share or talk about? To me, I, my biggest dream would just be that I am helping organizations be looking at how to bond their teams and how to continue to build meaningful connection, whether they're remote or not, or how they come back and how we're taking care of the well-being of each other. So for me, it's been the last several months have just been kind of leading up to like getting this book out. And now that it's out, I'm just like, yay, we don't have to worry about getting do, doing all the logistics of the book now. Now I can do what I most love doing, which is speaking and teaching, facilitating, connecting. And so, yeah, I'm hoping I do a ton of it virtually now, but I am holding hope that we will be in in rooms again someday and making eye contact and connecting in that way. But um, yeah, I feel like we've figured out the technology piece as a culture, getting that consistency piece down to some degree. But I feel like we're all a little short on the positivity and the vulnerability. We're not quite leaving our gatherings and our interactions really feeling seen and having it really leaving us feeling energized and good. So anything I can do to contribute to that is going to be is going to be front of mind for me. Well, you can find her at uh, ShastaNelson.com. We've got other links and resources related to Shasta and her book at the show notes page for this episode. Again, the book is called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships, Where We Spend Most of Our Time. Uh, This was a treat. Shasta, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, helping us all learn about uh, friendship at work. I appreciate it. Jeff, thank you so much. I've put a link to Shasta's website, the website for the book, and the other resources and links we talked about, all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 334 for episode 334. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 334. Yes, as a matter of fact, I would love to speak at your next in-person or virtual event. Thanks for asking. Whether it's sharing what I've discovered to be the traits nearly all successful people have in common, leadership, personal and professional growth, or the benefits of intentional and consistent reading, you can reach out to me by simply writing jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's also the address where you can write if you've got questions, suggestions, feedback. Again, that's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Next time on the show, we'll be chatting with Renee Vador, author of Measuring Up, How to Win in a World of Comparison. Hope to see you back here for that conversation. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.